Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that really takes a look at movies and says, what's the deal with these? Anyway, are some of these better than other ones? Let's take a look at it. For every year, this season, of course, we are doing 1973. And I'm here with no, not contestants, not competitors, friends and gentlemen, Ryan, Mike, here we are at the end of 1973. Welcome. Are you ready to do this thing? Well, let's address the uh, gorilla in the room. He said friends and then gentlemen and then Ryan and then Mike. And are you more offended, Mike, that you're not a friend? Or should I be more offended that I'm not a gentleman? Yeah, you are a friend. I'm a gentleman because I lost so many times in a row. I can't be a friend, but there's still decorum. We're not competitors, not because this isn't a competitive episode, but like when Mike Tyson sits next to an eighth grader who's learning how to box, they are also not competitors, and that's how I feel now. Not even learning how to box, learning how to color. (laughs) I defeated him easily. Uh, are you excited to do this? So this is the beginning of our turn towards actually picking the movie of the year. Do you feel ready to do that? Are you prepared to get this done? Yeah, I'm prepared to start to think about maybe considering mm-hmm. what Perhaps the best movie of the year is, which is our way. Some of the movies. Ryan, can you manifest a little bit of enthusiasm about the beginning of this process? <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely can, Greg. And here's why. Um... I said that here's why part because I thought while I was saying that I could that you could think yeah, of you have something. you you'd really yeah. land on your feet I, there. I am the one that edits our show all the time, and I love the sound of us thinking while we're talking, and we just slow down everything we're saying. The thing you all need to remember <laughs> that I've actually thought for years is it's like a, it's watching incredible improvisers who like somebody asked do you have a job and they're like oh i've had many jobs <laughs> one of them is of course ryan you famously say every year is a good year for movies when we po- when we picked 1973 there was a little bit of a hum of, of excitement but is 1973 itself a very good year for movies? I think that it is a very good year for movies, Greg. And here is why. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I, I think that um, the year is so eclectic. It's possible that the year is eclectic, not just because of the virtue of the year itself, but because of how much further it is in the past than when our heyday was. Um that everything is just a little bit weirder. I do think that the farther you get out from like your, you know, the the, the decade that like you really owned, um, the weirder things are. And if you were like say born in 1958, 1973 is very normal to you. Yeah. To us, it's strange, and I think we're going to see tonight uh, a lot more arguing. And a lot more difference of opinion, whether it's uh, in the battle, the movie battles themselves or in the awards, mm. than we would if we were doing, say, 94, 95, 96, which is what I would consider our heyday. Just because I, there's, so, there's such different opinions, because everything's wild. These movies were fucking wild. It's, yeah. the, the movies are fucking wild. Uh, the cultural conversation has mellowed, so it's not like we're like, well, society has decided this. I also think from the mid to late 80s on, the formulas for each genre started to get really hammered home. Yes. And like and right now they're still in the look guys, I know movies have been around for seventy three years. 
We still don't really know what this is. How do you tell a story? Anything can happen. Tones can shift. Do you think movies were born on January 1st, 1900? And yes. this is their 73rd anniversary? <laughs> were they not? Is that not how that works? <laughs> That's when the train came right towards the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think Mike's right. And I could finally say that because it doesn't get him a point when I say that now. Um, can, you, can you just say it for the amount of times you wanted to say it all season? <laughs> oh, no, no. We don't have time for that. Um, yes! No, wait. Hold on. I can. And Mike's right. Done. Uh, I do think Mike's right because as as he was mentioning with the mid-80s and definitely the 90s and a certain couple of directors come on, one in particular who I won't mention, but I will say he's a little bit of a cutie, um, the tropes codify themselves so much that we start troping the tropes right. and meta-ing the tropes and, yeah, you know, like... Uh, going back on the tropes, they get they become revisionist, they become subversive. You know, it, it not that that's not happening here, but it becomes the whole thing. And you know, th- this is sort of the last generation of not filmmakers that grew up. These filmmakers grew up on films, obviously, but the next generation after this are filmmakers who wear their inf- their filmmaker influences on their sleeves. This is the last one that like sort of is creating their true true own name. So yeah, there's like right. there's a freshness here. Both of you seem to be saying that like there there's still things being developed, still things being thought of. I mean, we're about to plow into the into the eighties, and I totally agree with Mike. It's like everything gets so codified that as the viewer, like you feel like you know what to expect in mm-hmm. every moment of the movie. These seventies movies, it feels like there way more was up for grabs, way more was being tried out. It feels like sometimes they just grabbed the camera, ran out onto the street, and started filming. And there's like an excitement or a freshness there. I mean, we had four movies, maybe four movies in this bracket that we were like, did this director do a good job? Or like we we, we like the movies. We like the performances. Um, The movie as a whole was was much better than the sum of its parts. But like this was this a filmmaker or was this just a guy who happened to be there holding the camera poorly, who accidentally caught magic? That's we're going to say that many times tonight. Mm hmm. That yeah, that that it feel or at least it feels that way. You know, I think that there's a chance that these movies feel a little bit more effortless than they actually were. You know, maybe they feel a little bit more spontaneous than sometimes they were. Sloppy. Did we did <laughs> rough rough around the edges? Did we talk enough about the fact that in 1973 Henry Kissinger won the Nobel Peace Prize? <laughs> I don't think we did. <laughs> that what a good troll he, in the world. When he kicked the bucket, that was something a lot of people. We're like, hey, you want to hear this random thing? And 1973 was in the news again, if only for a little bit, because even and that wasn't one of our scandals. That's crazy. I'm guessing it. I'm guessing it was one of our scandals, but I, I, I'm just surprised we didn't open every single episode. <laughs> even if you were a fan of him, him getting a peace prize seems a little, yeah, like, it seems like ridiculous. trolling. Honestly, like. Was it satire? Were they doing... Is it like Jonathan Swift? Uh, oh. Is this a modest proposal? <laughs> it was Nobel Peace Prize as given by Mad Magazine. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, this year, I I don't want to sound like a baby. I don't want to sound like a wimp. But this year, I feel like the tragic backstories to the movies were like worse than they usually are, or there were more of them that were bad. Is that just me being like up in my feelings about it, or was this kind of like a, a rough year for the, the behind-the-scenes stories of, of, of Hollywood? Yeah, I wonder if that's just, um, you know, Snowflake Hollywood. After mm-hmm. all this tragedy happened, they had to go and, like, make laws to protect the people who make the Children. movies. Yeah. Uh, let's keep our little baby snowflakes safe. But, yeah, like, they, these, the independent movies were just lawless. 
Like they were literally running out into traffic and shooting. Just um, fueled by hash and coke. Yeah, and and I mean, even the Hollywood movies at this time, there was I don't know how hardcore PETA was involved. You know, you could just throw a horse out there with a camera on it and kill I it. I feel on like any time, yeah, anytime there's an animal in a movie from like before ten years ago, it just assume that animal's being tortured for entertainment. Yeah, yeah, every movie's like the set of Luck on HBO. <laughs> is that the one where like horses were dying like every time left and right that's left a horse serial right. killer <laughs> look to your left look to your right if those are both horses they're about to die <laughs> those horses are if you dead. don't see a dead horse it's about to be you this is our second season of 16 movies as an experience and as like a furtherance of our goal of naming 1973's movie of the year which falls on us to do like it's our honor, of course, but it's a huge, huge burden in a way. Does 16 movies help us get there, or does that is it tough? Is 16 too many, do you think? I think it helps us like build that full tapestry. Like I think oh, we're yeah. telling a more complete story, but it also is, these seasons are so long in the middle of it, it's like, did we ever do anything else? Will we ever do anything <laughs> else again? Have we always been about 1973, and will we always only talk about 1973? I, I mean, I would, I understand that. But, like, to me, it makes more sense to go to two a weeks, which I know is can't ever happen. Stop. Very controversial, Ryan. You guys are both pulling guns out of your holsters. Yeah. You know <laughs> in, in Ryan's head, we make money on this, so we <laughs> can do that. Um, as opposed to going to eight. I find going to eight, back to eight, laughable. Impossible, but, right? Oh, yeah. no, yeah. We There's can't. no world in which we that, do that, yeah. That's like uh, when you're dating somebody and you moved in together, you can't then say, hey... I want to stay with you, but let's not live together anymore. That's yeah. <laughs> when we do eight, I feel like, okay, we clearly left some good movies on the table here because these eight are just so so awesome that there have to be more good ones. We watched Westworld this season. Yeah, I hell feel yeah, we really did. comfortable that like we saw a good sample of the good movies of this time. I know we didn't see every single good movie for this season, but like I just feel like we really did get a lot more, and it reminds yeah. us that, you know, some movies are near misses, uh, and they they deserve a little bit of time as well, even what? if they're even if they're Westworld. Watching Westworld um, is like with, at Thanksgiving, where you're like, I think I got one bite left in me, and then you take that last bite and you throw up all over the table. <laughs> Just like that, that was actually one bite too many. So maybe it should have been fifteen <laughs> or so, yeah, fifteen a fifteen bracket. Let's figure that out. <laughs> if the first one gets just a buy. The number one seed gets a buy round. I love it. Or if, uh, Westworld could have been Tuki Buki. That's yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like we could, if we did anything, maybe a restructuring. The 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 two Tuki Buki thing will will always haunt us. The, that's we... how brackets work, guys. Like sometimes and, the yeah. best team gets eliminated in the first round in the in, NIT. It, Is that a thing? It, in eight <laughs> years, when we do 1973 Redux, Tuki Buki Ooh. will have its day in the sun. <laughs> We're gonna uh, run out of years eventually, guys. I don't know. Not doing sixteen movies feels like oh, we no. are gonna run out of years in the other way. I was falling um, as yes, I was falling asleep the other night, as you do at night, and uh, I was like, <laughs> we are never that's finishing. So classic. <laughs> like, no. Um, fifty years in the past is as far into the past as, as we've looked, and um, some listeners say that we did not capture the spirit of seventy three. Do you think we'll ever go? older than this do you think that we that this is the gonna be our our latest season it yes i have little desire to go further back <laughs> is that I'm because not of like 1950 i'm talking like like 1969 like i mean it would still be kind of close to this year but i cannot take 
the fucking amount of times the two of you would say nice to each other if we did 1969. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I don't know how we got through it as like a people. I mean, anywhere on the on the planet. I don't know how people ever calmed down about that. They weren't doing it yet. Our generation invented that move. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I would, um, just because we started the 70s, I would continue the 70s. Uh, I love the 70s, like VH1 told me to, but that we could just draw the line there. Yeah, I especially do feel one, like... Greg, go, go Mike. Uh, I was, I'll go. Once upon a time, we said 1977 was going to be, like, we would not go further than that, and eventually we went, well, there's cool stuff here. So I could also see, after a couple of modern seasons, be like, let's go further back, boys. But don't you feel like this is sort of the outer boundary? Like, it would be like 1970 would be as late as we would yeah. probably go. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's a long time to do the other part of the show that we're trying to do, which is like to capture the time. If we're not right. the if, scandals like, we of nineteen forty-five, yeah. Oh man, there's some biggies. Uh, <laughs> speaking of fifty years ago, how cringe was the cringe for this year? Now that we've had like sixteen episodes to talk about it, I, I think because it's the maybe it's like the oh that's grandpa we don't like it, but sometimes he says that stuff versus like somebody who's in your peer group. I am more cringed out and offended by modern cringe than 73 cringe. I'm like, well, duh. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Of course it's going to be there. Eat a dick. Is that because there's like a naked obviousness to it? Like people just like saying the N-word? Yeah. Like we know historically people were horrible 50 years ago. And so then it's, it doesn't like skeeve us it out in the stand same out. way that like yeah. seeing something from 2008 where you're the, like, whoa, what's going on here? The are rough. <laughs> <laughs> Also, like, I think that they were surprisingly, for the most part, yes. pretty chill. Like, a lot of the people who said the N-word in these movies were the dirty cops, you know? Like, yeah. a lot of the people who uh, did the stuff that we don't like today were people that we didn't like then. Um, yeah. I think that it was a time where things were a little more understanding, and it wasn't until um, that goddamn Ronald Reagan... Ronnie Riggs... Got into the white down that wall. <laughs> I do feel like there was some sort of promise in 1973 that things were like going to be better in just the next couple of years, and the 80s were just like, no, that's not what we're doing. We're doing something else instead. And so, yeah, it's almost like it's there is that like 50 years ago is a long time. So there are things that obviously would still be offensive now, but I don't know. There's a lot of in it that seemed more progressive too or like yeah. aspirational in a way that i just don't see you know us currently having uh we did the other season that we did that was closest was 1975 do you feel like 1973 was dramatically different than 1975 i i do think that i i sort of think that like there was um a little more let me see how to put this there's there's a little more dirt on the polish in 75 yep, in in yeah. that there was a separation here where um we had either hollywood or the lowest budget stuff mm -hmm. yeah. and as we get through 74 and 75 it's sort of like hollywood is catching up and it's saying let's make the budgets a little bit bigger of our low budget movies yeah because that's what's cool that's what audiences want and that's what's winning awards yeah i did feel like there was a a kind of a big difference for two years that the mm -hmm. feeling had completely changed by 75 and that, yeah, like the establishment had absorbed a little bit of the, the fringes. Um, yeah. They, they realized they couldn't outcompete them because people wanted that fringe style. Yeah. And so they and, sucked in those directors and producers and 
And you kind of see it halfway with uh, things like the James Bond movie that also introduced black characters. Like, it felt like that was being, like, sort of attached to movies. Like, we're going to mm-hmm. now also try to bring in this audience. And then they were just like, ah, we could do this in a more efficient way. Did the opening um, credits of that movie say, and introducing black characters? And for the first time. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I think it did for at least at least one or two of the characters. Because it's just like, yeah, that's the kind of movie this is going to be. Because apparently that's what people want. And like, if you, if you look at like um, what uh, Richard Gorman was saying at the time, the B-movie guy, he was like, that's all you... He, like, if anybody came to him for advice on what to do in a movie, he'd be like, here's what you got to do. You got to put actors of color because that's going to be the next big thing in this industry well when we come back it is time to start looking at these movies and making some painful decisions when we come back here we go round one battle one it is the number one seed the exorcist versus number 17th seed sisters both of these movies are creepy both of these movies are spooky, <laughs> but is one of them just way too big to possibly get kicked out here, Ryan? Uh, yes. I, sisters, I, is <laughs> sisters way too big to get kicked out? Uh, yeah. Are you being a size queen right now? Are you being a size <laughs> king about these sisters? Um, <laughs> I sat down today on Google Hill. No, that because that means that I did look stum- some something up. I didn't look anything. It's up. getting confusing now. <laughs> yeah, I sat on a hill next to Google Hill. That was an actual hill. Big mound. And tried. <laughs> I sat down on Big Mound, and tried to remember the ins and outs of uh-huh. sisters, the the movie, not <laughs> yeah, my family don't members, think about the ins and, and of your sisters, brother. And like, who was related to who, and who was the killer, and who was a double, and. I didn't do such a great job of remembering that movie. Um, but I do remember it was Freaky Deaky, uh, mm-hmm. Spooky, Which Uki, one's all together kooky. Between Exorcist and the <laughs> Sisters. I loved how, I loved how campy yes. it was. I loved how it tried a bunch of different things. And it, like, did not... It didn't have just one flavor. It didn't just have one mode of being. In fact, the whole opening... It's kind of like a big misdirection because we don't know it, but we're with our victim at the time. And we have no idea what's going on with the titular sisters at that time. And to even like underscore that, it starts off with like a game show. So it's like a deeply nestled kind of text. And I thought I thought all that stuff was very fun and and interesting. Um, I think where the big like drawback is, though, is The Exorcist might be the biggest movie we've ever done in the history of this show. And it just feels like if you said to somebody, sisters, they're going to go, oh, that show? And you're like, no. With Swoozie Kurtz? And they're going to be like, oh, the 2015 movie? And you're like, no, the 1973 movie. And they're going to be like, didn't that come out in 1972? And you're like, well, <laughs> in some, some festivals, yes, but its broad release was in 1973. Actually, at that point, I'm like, dude that I'm talking to, get yeah, the fuck you away from me. bitch. Stop leave. talking to me. This is why we do a podcast, because we don't want people peppering us back with, with details. I, I will say, and I probably said it on the episode, that like I really used to think I hated Brian De Palma, and watching his older, weirder shit, I'm into him now, and Sisters helped get the job done for that. Yeah, and what? I would love for you, uh, I say this to you, I say this to you about something basically every yeah. day, about going back and watching roughly 10 to 15 hours of some kind of pop culture. I, don't, I think that you've yet to do any yeah. of it. Um, but I this is the time. I just keep watching Jack Reacher. 
Uh, and I love how you like one of your many old man eccentric- eccentricities is to call the show Reacher Jack Reacher. <laughs> well, I don't know why. It fucking piss- <laughs> yeah, I just stopped Reacher calling him Mr. Reacher. <laughs> um, but yeah, go back to those Brian De Palma movies that annoyed you so much. Now that you've watched old stuff like Sisters, and see what you think. I'm not. There is stuff that yeah. sucks. Straight Scarface. up, Scarface. Right, but now that you have. A like Snake Eyes, but now that you have this newfound respect, I don't know. I think it will be there. The Exorcist, like Greg said, is it's essentially like we're talking about the James Cameron movie of its day, right? Yeah. It that's how much of a phenomenon it was. Um, and also, I think I thought it delivered on all of the other stuff way more than you guys did. I, I think. Yeah. I think that as like a masterpiece i think it's there in a way that sisters can't really compete right with. if if i remember correctly and i never do uh i loved everything except the horror i think it's a great movie it's just not a horror movie and i the way i felt about the exorcist is first of all i have to acknowledge that like this is a movie that i did not want to let in like i literally said i was never going to watch this movie i grew up catholic and super afraid of the devil, which is such a weird thing to say now because that's so different than my current experience. Down well, you devil. might uh, do something bad, go down to hell forever, where a red guy's gonna be yeah. like. <laughs> and do you know, like, do you know how easy I would be to torture for eternity? <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like they could start off so slow and really bring it up to it. He to would just simmer. make you read so, Wikipedia then, entries in detail of horror movies, and then in in a lot of ways in which it intends to be distasteful, I I just I am so turned off by that that like the movie is doing right. its thing i'm just yeah and um also i think ultimately when you are not letting yourself be scared of a movie it's hard to judge it when it's trying to be scary you know because you're like intentionally not mm. letting it do that thing to you and then you're being like i'm not scared and it's like yeah okay because it's like the people that go into the movie theater and then anytime there's a scary part they just laugh right and it's like you're just doing that because you're afraid the like, people who go to a magic it, show who's like that's not real that's See, not real i do the opposite with comedies i don't want to laugh at if there's a funny part i just scream ah! like i'm scared <laughs> ah! uh, and i i was underwhelmed with with some elements of it i guess and kind of creeped out it just in in very legitimate ways like i just i didn't love that it was about a 12 year old girl and her body like it, because i felt that the the movie like leaned into the creepiness of that and i was just like this is just too creepy for me uh that is creepy though uh and what was her name Ronald Reagan. Yeah, what was her character's name? Fucking Reagan. Oh, yeah, of course. It always comes back to Reagan. Very good. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it here, fellas. What do you think? We have number one seed, The Exorcist, versus number 17 seed, Sisters. Which way are you going, Mike? Uh, Sisters is great. The Exorcist moves on. Ryan, do you agree with that? We don't have a, a Moody, which is the name of... The awards that we hand out tonight. The prestigious awards. <laughs> we don't have a Moody for uh, funniest moment of the year, but um, I want to say William Finley, mm-hmm. who plays Emil, the oh, he's a snack for sure. Bad guy of sisters, uh, falling over and laying on the <laughs> ground for forty yeah. seconds yeah. <laughs> during a very intense scene <laughs> uh, would win the award hands down. So maybe we shouldn't even do it because it would be a yeah. fucking uh, landslide. Like Hands down, man down, right, Ryan? But <laughs> exorcist, yes, great. <laughs> but exorcist, exorcist takes it. 
All right, congratulations to The Exorcist. Moving on. When we come back, it's time to start handing out these aforementioned moodies. Let's get to these moodies. Ryan, I have been told that you have the nominees. The category is Best Supporting Actress. So this is the actress that is doing her best to support the other people in the production, giving them compliments, yeah. knitting them sweaters, that sort of thing, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering this correct. Not just bringing them sandwiches, but holding their sandwiches as a nibble Thank on you. it. It's so annoying when someone the bring, corners of their lips. brings you a sandwich and then just like walks off. Like, Aren't you going to hold it while I eat it? Come on, man. <laughs> right. What am I fucking supposed to do with this? <laughs> or if, if my pizza slicey is too hot, um, just hold it on the paper plate and like move it a little bit every time I take is a bite. so much to ask? Um, now, the Oscars start with Best Supporting Actress. So do we. But let me just say that we are still better than the Oscars, and these are more important than the and Oscars. And it's not clear who had that idea first. It is yeah. not. Greg. Ryan. Your first nominee is Amy Mike. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> What's that third Skylar sister? <laughs> and Peggy. And Peggy. <laughs> I set small fires. <laughs> Greg, your first nominee is Amy Robinson from Mean Streets. Amy Robinson from Mean Streets. This is his girlfriend that has um, epilepsy. Girlfriend of one, cousin to the other. Yeah. Yes. Epilepsy all around. And everyone in this movie treats that as like a horrible defect, the fact that she has yes. epilepsy. He should be with her. And yeah, she does a, a good job of being like stuck in this situation, but um, kind of like, ah, I wish I had a guy who treated me well instead of being obsessed with his loser friends. Guess I won't find that on these mean, mean streets. streets. <laughs> Mike, did you like this person who is not related to Martin Scorsese? Yes, she does such a good job at uh, pointing out the bullshit of their entire existence <laughs> and the way they've decided to live their lives. Uh, just like she is an adult hanging out with the fucking lost boys. And I think what well, Amy was the actress's name uh, mm-hmm. does a great job at encapsulating. She's like, I see the maturity and the greatness in. Kaitel, and she she conveys all that love while rolling her eyes at all the dumb bullshit he says and does, which is a lot of things. It's so many things. Uh, Greg, your next nominee is Carol Kane from The Last Detail. Carol Kane, she is the the sex worker with the heart of yeah, okay. This is this is what's <laughs> going on right now. She does not seem swept up in it. Uh, the heart of yeah, okay, and the hand of yowza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a lot of time to establish a performance, but she see, she seemed like uh, good at what she does, and I'm always excited to see mm-hmm. Carol Kane. It, that, it always feels like a, a little bit nice just to be like, oh, hey, she's in this movie. Uh, Greg, the next nominee from American oh, Graffiti is Cindy Williams. Cindy Williams. Now, which one? I always get these confused. So is this the... the, the um, this is, Carol, this is Ron right? Howard's girlfriend. Oh. Ron Howard. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense because she's not always the most entertaining actor or actress on, on screen, but she has, like, the most to do, and she's going through the most, and you see her be so disappointed in his bullshit but not want to, like, give in to the despair about that because she knows that's not going to get her anywhere. And then you also get to see her, like, hopeful that it, it is going to work out between them and then be so upset after the big car accident. Uh, and so I think she had like the most to do in this movie, and she handled it all very well. And she's either Laverne or Shirley, right? 
<laughs> she might be one. Yeah, she's definitely one or the other. The one with an L or an S mm-hmm. sewn on her shirt. Uh, Mike? From oh, American I get Graf- to talk about one? You could have talked Anytime about any Anytime there's like a little pause, Mike, you can jump in with something that you got to say. I'm a gentleman, so I'll <laughs> wait for my name to be said. Uh, Mike, let's listen to Greg. <laughs> Laverne Mike, or uh, Shirley. <laughs> uh, from American Greedy Mike, Graffiti Mike, it's Mackenzie Phillips. And this is not Laverne nor Shirley. This is neither Laverne nor Shirley. This is Carol. This is Carol. Uh, yeah, she. I think she steals this movie. She's so funny. Uh, and we talked about the chemistry between her and Paul Lamont. Uh, and yeah, she. I think she ups his game throughout the film. Yeah, so and it would be less than without her. So witty, so funny, uh, and then yeah, like just a, a like a realness, a genuineness to it all. Yeah. Um, that's two so far. George Lucas directed acting nominations. Yeah. So there, he used to be able to more. do it, or he just lucked I, out, and he's like, "Could you guys figure out what you're supposed to do?" And they're like, "Yeah, we'll get it." <laughs> <laughs> uh. Mike, the final nominee for Best Sporting Actress from Paper Moon, it's Madeline Kahn, who uh, in this movie has flames coming off of her face. Flames? Uh, to be able to act without talking about the flames coming out of the side <laughs> of her face, we didn't know Madeline <laughs> Kahn could do it. And she does it so well. To, like, She's not villainous. You, you kind of fall in love with her. You kind of hate her. She is super annoying. She is a roadblock for uh, the young, the titular Paper Moon. Which I believe Addie's name was Janet Paperman, uh, and yeah, it's she. She's a fucking movie star, man. She's so good and so I would, funny. You, I, I think was thinking a lot about that story about how she was too embarrassed to deliver the line. Let Miss Trixie sit up there with her big tits. Yeah, and I've been thinking about it, and <laughs> there's no way she was too embarrassed. I think what she was trying to broadcast was there's no way a woman would say this to a little girl right. in this situation, and she was like just dying for him to get the idea that this line had to go, that it was awkward and not working. And so finally she was like, I'm too embarrassed to say tits. (laughs) And her delivery, I feel like captures that and like, and makes it hone. Like it's super desperate from Trixie in that moment of like, Hey, nine year old, I'm acknowledging you're in control. Please let me stay with you guys for a while. So I can eat some fucking food (laughs) with my big tits (laughs) off my big tits. Um, I I do think she's a little bit villainous. Um, she's bad, but just a little we're, bit. We're kind of as a podcast, we are kind of pro bad women. So we get ourselves into a weird situation where if a woman is sufficiently villainous, then we go all the way back around to liking her. So it gets confusing. <laughs> her uh, speech to Janet Paper Moon <laughs> about getting in the car is a little bit villainous, but an amazing scene. Uh, Madeline Kahn is the only. One of our five that was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. So fuck them. Your nominees are Amy Robinson from Mean Streets, Carol Kane from The Last Detail, Cindy Williams from American Graffiti, Mackenzie Phillips from American Graffiti, and Madeline Kahn from Paper Moon. And your winner is... Cindy Williams from American Graffiti, Laverne or Shirley. Come on down and get this shit. Well earned, I think. Laverne, you can send Shirley. Shirley, you can send Laverne. Um... Yeah, I, in the American Graffiti episode, we talked so much about having um, not a ton of dialogue. By the way, uh, the board did say that every actor from American Graffiti is in the supporting categories. Oh, that there is there no are lead. no, there are no that leads. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, 
um, but having not as much dialogue as anybody else um, or a, a lot of the other actors, but having the camera stay on her and in scenes like the I'm just going to lay down in the back seat or um, I, we're going to do this slow dance and I'm going yes. to realize how my past, present, and possibly future are a fucking sham. These are the things that she completely pulls off. Yeah, that's the scene that I can't let go of in that movie is the slow dance dress down where she is whispering what a terrible person he is the whole time while they're both trying to pretend like they're the king and queen. Which is not as fun as a slow dance hoedown. One of the most fun slow dances you can do. You heard here first. That is one of the most fun slow dances you can do. When we get back, another two movies enter the ring, but only one will emerge victorious. If you asked anybody's dad what two movies came out, in 1973, you are bound to get our next matchup. Number eight seed, The Sting versus number nine seed, Serpico. We have the criminals versus the cops who are, I guess, also kind of criminals in this. Ryan, what, what, who do you got? What side do you on? And the criminals who are the good guys. In I mean, the yeah, Sting. right. You got the, the, the good criminals versus the bad cops. Yeah. Um, this is what, sort of what we were talking about as 73, as the 60s turn into the 70s and 73 becomes 75. Uh, two movies, like the last era of, you know, the big budget Hollywood crowd pleaser that everyone loves, but doesn't really like get our gritty goosebumps going. Mm-hmm. Although you just, don't leave the sting like, oh man, I'm going to chew on that forever. Yeah, but still like <laughs> there is something undeniable about it undeniable about it versus Serpico that does have that sort of um it's undeniably a Hollywood movie but it does have that like gritty docu like feel to it Mm -hmm. you know like there is something dirty about it and while it's gritty it also knows to have a just a sprinkle of Zucker brotherness in how he walks into the police station in a bigger outfit every time (laughs) every scene the beard gets a little bit bigger the clothes get a little bit more wild this thing i guess the one thing i could say that you do is is like it may not be puzzling and it's like emotional implications but watching this thing over and over again you do get like you get to appreciate its clockwork precision a little bit more because nothing is hidden or obscured from you really in the sting you just don't know what you're seeing the first time you watch it so i guess it has that complexity to it i I think clooney's ocean 11 owes so much more to the sting than it owes to Sinatra's Ocean Eleven, uh, be- in that in that same way, where it's like, look at these charming, handsome people be criminals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't do anything to you emotionally. It's 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 so fun and charming, <laughs> but it's not a thinker. But yeah. it's it's also endlessly rewatchable. Pro- maybe I are two most distinct soundtracks. I want to say, but not many people love ragtime and not do, do, many people do, 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 do. love mandolin so i don't know that we're looking at our two strongest uh as soundtracks. as the guy who most of the bands i liked in high school and right after high school uh drew from both of these genres of mandolin or ragtime i'll say i'm team mandolin here if we're talking soundtrack v soundtrack they're, they're- really you say Serpico over The Sting for best soundtrack? I just got, I get a little, they, they use that that one specific Joplin song so much that I get over it. 
And it's also anachronistic too. Like, yeah, yeah. Listen to that it's music. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is the Sting is one of those movies that is not based in any way on reality. It's based on different types of unreality. Yes. It's like a movie about movies, and so it feels like no compulsion to be truthful or honest in any way because it's like, well, no, you know, movies. This is another one of them. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Which I I think only adds to the charm. Yes. Oh yeah, totally. I mean. You know, like, there were a lot of compromises made for it. I remember listening to to George Roy Hill talk about um, that he wanted to have, like, no extras because old movies didn't have extras. Yeah, okay, well, also, that's Come a great on. accommodation because it makes your movie easier to yeah. make. and cheaper. And cheaper, yeah. But at the same time, it is quaint and nice in that way. You know, the sets look like the, the most set-ass sets you've ever yeah. seen in your life. And there's something, like, kind of comforting and nice about that. Whereas Serpico was, like got the grime of 70s New York, which is like a kind of grime you don't want on you. And it's just very real or, or late 60s New York, I should say. That would have been awesome if like Kubrick making Barry Lyndon was like, no, it's all going to be lit by candles because there was no electricity. Also, there were no cameras. So, <laughs> yeah. so we'll just whisper to each other what's happening. People have to imagine what happened in the movie and what they imagine will not be half as epic. I don't want to like look too far ahead but i feel like these are two amazing movies that people are like oh how could you choose between the two of them and yet i don't feel like either one of these is going home with the overall prize is that i odd to say i sort of argue with your initial premise okay i i don't think serpico is great yeah i don't think it's a great movie i think that there are great parts to it and it's one of my favorite directors of all time but i think that this is weirdly one of his most famous movies, or like everyone knows this is mo- one Everybody of his movies. Everybody knows about Serpico. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, it's probably because of Max Fisher and <laughs> the amazing play that he wrote. Um, because bring like, it to the people, you don't really hear it quoted that much. Like, there's Unless no. Unless you go back and rewatch, it's always sunny a lot. Early, it's always sunny. Charlie goes Serpico. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I kind of think that. It's it's not sloppy in the way that we were talking about at the beginning of this this episode. Like, you know, the filmmaking's Im- impeccable, and but I just think it's sort of thrown together. And I think because it's a biopic, that although it's not cradle to grave biopic, it still is too long of a time, and there's too many ups and downs to it that sort of leave it a mess. I think it's yeah, kind I, of baggy, right? Like it's kind of you know it's it's. Someone could say, well, that's real life. Real life, you know, uh, rejects narrative structure. But the movie that results from it feels like sort of incomplete in a way. And the the movie definitely has a narrative structure. So if you're going to do that, trim those bags in a little. Like and and the ending, the last twenty minutes is when I remembered it's a biopic because the whole movie does not feel like one. In the last twenty minutes, you're like, oh, oh yeah. So you're going to do this shit. Also, I heard there's still police corruption. So Serpico, both the man and the movie, didn't fix shit. Failed. <laughs> While the stings, they're still stinging. And that's what we want out of the sting. They're stinging left and right. Was the sting well, two called the sting two colon still stinging? <laughs> still stinging. Now that's what I call sting. Uh, unfortunately, though, only one of these movies can move on. Ryan, I think I know which way you're going to go, but are you? Ha- do you have number eight, the sting or number nine, Serpico. Well, obviously, it's uh, seated so higher, so much higher than Serpico. So it's not just that. But yeah, I think The Sting is a blast. And um, every time I watch it, I kind of forget 
why it's so fun. I'm just like, oh, that old hacky thing. This was Best Picture, right? Yeah. Which is a knock against it. In our minds, yes. Yeah. It's the Be- green book of its time. Best Picture, Best Director, um, Best Screenplay. And if, if you said, like, from 1973, throw on a movie that's guaranteed to make as many people happy as possible, got to be The Sting. Right? Got to be The Sting. Or The Princess Bride, which is makes so many people happy, it counts as coming out from every year. Whoa. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going The Sting here. Mike? Uh, I – what's the word? Disagree. Uh, okay. Very good. Love, love The Sting. Yes, it's a good old time. But I think the powerhouse performance that Al Pacino gives, I think, elevates – and pushes beyond everything else. Uh, and the part where he chants Serpico, yeah. Serpico. <laughs> the only guy to change his own name and not be a douche. Uh, or the part where he sings, "Hands off my Serpico," <laughs> or where nobody he comes can in, touch my Serpico. <laughs> where he comes in in the Robin Hood uh, cosplay, but nobody <laughs> talks about it. Uh, no, I, I think it's he's just so fucking good in it that I think he is undeniable. Where he shuts so the then it's, shuts it's the door on me. Diane Keaton and says, "Kate never asked me about my Serpico business." <laughs> I just caught on to the bit Greg was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Serpicos we need are all around us. Uh, then it comes to me. Unfortunately, my least favorite thing: making a decision. But this one is relatively easy for me because I think I'm not as str- as far in the camp in the Ryan camp. Um, as Ryan is, which makes sense. <laughs> um, I fucking love the Ryan camp. <laughs> I think, like, it, guys, this camp is just for me. Check it out. It'd be harder to be more in the Ryan camp than Ryan is. <laughs> but I am in. I'm deeply in the Sting camp, and so Sting. Moving on, number eight seed defeating Serpico once again. Serpico should have just taken the money, man. <laughs> make it make it a little bit easier for everybody. When we come back. Let's get to the lads who are supportive. You know the guys are in there also doing the supporting acting. Ryan, check me on that. Is that true? That is true, Greg. Uh, Often films, this day and age, will have men in them. (laughs) This is back when men could be men, and sometimes all they were doing was supporting acting. Ryan, who are the lads that went out there and gave it all for the team? Greg, your first... uh Nominee for Best Supporting Actor is Charles Durning. What movie do you think it's from? Okay, I'm going to guess that it's the Durning from Sisters. That is correct. Yeah. Charles Durning from The Sting can take a hike. You know why? He's a cop. This is just a P.I. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, just a little bit better. But really, I think he steals it in his scenes with Jessica Salt. Uh, the two Jennifer. of them... Jennifer, yeah. The two of them make such a great team, and she brings out the the best in him. And there's just a couple scenes where I feel like he got the the goofy tone of this yeah. movie. Like, uh, you know, I think he fully under understood the assignment, as the middle aged people say. Um, and there's just a lot of a lot of humor. And in my imagination, he is still at the top of that electric or that telephone pole. Looking at that couch. They, there's yeah, that should be a thing at Universal Studios. <laughs> like, not a ride, just a Charles Durning like animatronic at the top that doesn't move at the top of one Oh, look, it's pool. from Sisters. All the eight-year-olds <laughs> will love it. They're so good together that I I wish there had been like a Saturday afternoon spinoff of the two of them <laughs> solving crimes together. He's uh one of my favorite types of supporting performances because the second time I watched the movie. I was shocked at how little he's in it. Like yeah. he, yeah. he drops her off and says, "All right, I'm gonna go across this bridge," and we don't see him again. But after watching it, like for the first time, I was like, yeah, "He fucking owns that movie." Yeah, dude, we need more Durning in our lives. 
Uh, Greg, your next nominee is the aforementioned Palamat from American Graffiti. Yeah, one half of the probably the most compelling duo in the movie, right? Him yeah. like, oh man, I got stuck with this weird little girl, but also like we do a lot of like funny bits together, and that's kind of cool. Um, and also, I'm gonna hot rod around. He like of all the people that launched out of that movie, and I think we said this on the show, it's kind of surprising that he didn't end up doing much else. Yeah. Yeah. He he feels so much more like magnetizing to watch than anybody else in that movie. Like you're watching Certainly his more ca- than Harrison Ford, Yo, his so, number one rival. Yeah. Well, imagine an alternate universe where he's Han Solo. <laughs> Cigarettes rolled up in his Han Solo sleeves. A galaxy even farther away. <laughs> Maybe like what if he seems too much of 62? Yeah. They're like, what? We, we can't cast that old actor in these new things. <laughs> Whoever that casting director is that you're doing an impression of, he's a moron. Uh, that's <laughs> the uh, heavily based on the producer who saw Blair Witch uh, and went, man, it's a shame those kids are dead because they can act. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, anytime anything like that happens where like a, a good actor or actress just disappears, I'm like, oh, they, they said no to somebody powerful. Yeah. They're like, yeah. no, I don't want to do that thing. And then they were like, all right, well, see you never. They denied a horror movie that was being shot in Northern California and got destroyed. Uh, Mike, your next nominee is the fourth George Lucas-directed actor to get nominated tonight. It's Richard Dreyfuss from American Graffiti. It's so wild. What what, what did Lucas have back then that he instantly lost? Good actors? Again, okay. I mean- Richard Dreyfuss, like I, I feel like you know you're getting you're getting good performances out of good actors, yeah. and so I think he just might have lucked into it again. What what Dreyfuss shares is him and Lamont both had the like it feels like more than the other two of like I'm in my own movie and I'm going to act to the T, like I'm going to act like I'm in my own story and trying to learn and do things. Where the other guys are not learning that much, and I think Dreyfuss has this weird, charming piece of shit fun attitude to watch that he injects in a lot of things because he might just be a charming piece of shit also you know how when you just you only know of somebody as kind of an older actor yes. and then you see them when they're younger he was kind of already doing that yeah i mean that character is already like a middle-aged man and so then like sort of having that associated with him actually works jack palance was the bad guy and like shane from like 1956 yeah. and he was an old man in that movie <laughs> there are just some actors All right tommy lee jones yeah. was 60 when he was born um so yeah to see richard dreyfus and he still looks like his hair has died right like he's yeah. still a little too old for this part greg the next somebody is robert doki from coffee oh dude this was king george mm-hmm. I, getting this part like this is a tall order because king george is like very villainous and yet at the same time completely a victim in 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 the span of like two scenes it switches just that quickly and watching him go from like in command and in charge to scared for his life and pleading for it that's a lot to ask of an actor and then on top of that when the movie needs him to be funny he without putting a huge like exclamation point on it he is hilarious Mm. in a very like cutting simple way uh, I have to say, of the the biggest surprises of this season um, was probably his performance in this movie because I was just like way more moved by it than I actually expected to be. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have thought it impossible that something in Coffee moved me, but I just didn't think it was going to be this yeah. the pimp character from Coffee that was going to be like that left me feeling like you know um, 
yeah, just moved, I guess. The one thing that coffee always moves in me is my bowels. That That's the, true. It gets things going. It really does. The one scene I always think of is when he, the one of his ladies that coffee really kicks the shit out of, she's like, but I'm still your baby, right? I'm still the one you love. And he's like, of course, baby. You're still the one I love. And then hugs her and then essentially looks in the camera and is like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Full on Jim he's Halpert's. Like, He's like, I love you so much. Hey, when do you think you could sleep with a guy for money for me again? And she's like, it's going to be a while. Is that okay? And he's like, uh, yes. Like, there's a lot of depth there. You know, because he is talking about, I need you to go fuck a guy for money for me. And when she's like, I just can't for a while because I don't feel good. He's like, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. That, like, who else is even, like, going for that? Uh, Mike, I'm about to say a word I don't expect to say many more times on this show. Your final nominee is from... Westworld. This, it's your brand. This is the one. If I was a betting man, I'd put so much money on one thing from Westworld getting a nomination, and it's Yule fucking Brenner. He is this just for his walk? It's for the walk. It's for <laughs> I think understanding what the movie is better than anybody else who's in the movie. Uh, for inspiring Terminator. Uh, this this is a scary. Did he say you'll be back <laughs> to Westworld? <laughs> and then he kind of waves. To- this is definitely one of those where when you think of Westworld, you think of wall-to-wall Yule Brenner. Yeah. And then when you watch Westworld, you're like, he's, where's Yule he, Brenner? He's not like, in couldn't he be in this scene? And when Yule Brenner's not in the scene, all the other characters should be saying, where's Yule Brenner? Yeah, is but he's, the, he's very cool in a very bad movie. Yeah. This is the damage that iconic posters do. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, your nominees are Charles Durning from Sisters, Paula Mott from American Graffiti, Richard Dreyfuss from American Graffiti, Robert O'Keefe from Coffee, and Yul Brenner from Westworld. And your winner is, for the second time tonight, American Graffiti wins. It's Paula Mott wow. from American Graffiti. American Graffiti, gentlemen, is 2-0 tonight. That is surprising Dang. a little. Sometimes <laughs> what you find is that a movie will, will take down a lot of Moody's as a way of making up for it's not doing very well in the bracket. So I wonder about that. Why, 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 When we why? come back, it is time to make two more movies fight, and one of them has Bruce Lee in it. <gasps> up next, it is number four seed, Don't Look Now, versus number 13 seed, Enter the Dragon. Sometimes you get movies that's like, oh, wow, these movies are kind of similar. Exorcist and Sisters, they're both like kind of creepy and have horror elements. Sting versus Serpico, oh, it's kind of like focusing on crime and who's good and who's bad. These are different movies, everybody. <laughs> Don't Look Now is a very different feel from Enter the Dragon. Does this show why we do something like this, or does it kind of make it seem silly that we're having these two movies square off, Mike? I think it shows why we do this, because one, right one of the many taglines of the show is movies. They can be so many things. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, howdy. Do Enter the Dragon and Don't Look Now show how many of the different things can movies be? Ryan, do you agree? I agree. Um, my question was going to be, what's the best movie with a verb in the title? Look and mm. enter. Okay. I like that. Isn't it all confusing? I think we talked about this on the show. It's called Don't Look Now, but because it's a movie, they clearly, I mean, they want you. They want you to be looking the whole time, right? I listened. I sat away, facing away from my TV and listened. As if, st- <laughs> as if Stanley Kubrick directed it with no cameras? Yes, exactly. Um, As if it was some sort of naturalistic Barry Lyndon. Would it be a different battle if it was look now and don't enter the dragon? Yes. <laughs> you don't don't enter, the dragon enter the dragon. It's like a failed porn. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do we do here? Uh, 
I think we say goodbye to a beloved martial artist <laughs> that we spent all season talking about. Uh, based, I'd say how I'm thinking about it is let's think about how both of these movies end. And Don't Look Now can kick rocks. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> Expand on that, Mike. Uh, the ending is so goofy and... In the, in the, I guess the downside of like 70s movies can do, you don't know what movies are going to do. and feels like almost a betrayal of the pretty naturalistic meditation on what grief can do to a <laughs> parental couple uh, that I feel like it kills a lot of ill will where Enter the Dragon is sets its bar and stays clearing its bar and following its rules from minute one to minute whenever it ends. Can you imagine, though, how fucking sweet? It's the 70s, and you're a filmmaker, you're a group of filmmakers, you're a film crew, and you run up, and you're like, guys, it's the 70s. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Like, this is just how movies, like, movies just have so much will, like, we could just do anything. Your one creepy friend is always like, and then a little person kills the main character, and they're like, he always pitches this. Adam, we understand. That's (laughs) anything we said, anything. So it doesn't just have to be that one thing again. Adam, you pitched that on The Graduate? You pitched that on Bonnie and Clyde. We get it, bro. Ryan, do you feel like it is at all reductive to reduce uh, Don't Look Now to just its ending? Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, what Mike just said is insane. Uh, I get no, I get where he's coming from. Um, and I love Ebert's whole tactic for tackling movies. I like almost the bar setting. The bar setting, yeah. And every movie sets its own bar which is how he can give showgirls four stars, something that seemed much more insane back then than it does now, where Dude, everybody gives... Dude, you hear people talk about showgirls all the time yeah. nowadays. Now everyone gives it four stars. But back then, it was a crazy thing to do, and he did it. Um, Ebert's the man. I, I do agree, and I, I think that without allowing movies to set their own bar and see if they jump over it, then that means that important movies will always, always, quote-unquote, big-eye important movies will always be put on lists ahead of genre movies and movies that don't tackle, quote-unquote, important subjects, right? Right. The the Holocaust drama is always going to give more, you know, get more credits than a horror movie or an action movie or whatever, and I don't think that that's fair. But to me, Don't Look Now is one of the all-time masterpieces. And although we spent two hours together grappling with that, in part grappling with that finale, and I do think that it is one of the weaker moments, I think that there is so much there that, and we barely scratched the surface, surfaces one of the many things that, uh, and whereas Edge of the Dragon is, is incredible, but just doesn't have anywhere near. Like, I would, I would, there's so many capital I important movies that I would elevate Edge of the Dragon above. Yeah, just not this one. The King's Speech. I, yes, for sure. To, <laughs> at the at the risk of sounding ridiculous, one thing I'll say about Enter the Dragon is we talk a lot about in these movies how like you know you can't get all of it through one viewing. I did feel like that was true of the action in mm-hmm. Enter the Dragon. Like I would sometimes be so blown away by one move that he does that I would pay less attention with the next one. And yeah. so I feel like there's this weird depth to the combat where you could watch, I think, those fight scenes over and over and over again and always see something you'd never seen before. Plus, like because an eight-year-old, Greg watches movies like that by running around the room and then practicing the move. 
Is that Fuck what you were about you. to say? I was going to say the same fucking thing, you dickhead. <laughs> you both are over to say the same thing. And you know what, gentlemen? It is 100% true. <laughs> I, I stand the entire time I watch movies, and I just do whatever I see the characters doing. Unfortunately, Mike and I didn't watch Enter the Dragon. We watched Greg watching Enter the Dragon <laughs> through his window. It was delightful. And that's what I'm saying moves. should move on. I feel like Don't Look Now is like somebody like dropped all the elements of a movie into the movie of the year winner machine and through the switch and it spit out the perfect movie designed to win this but that was before mike said <laughs> mike that, said no yeah that, that 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 that's not what was going to be happening i will say this about the ending i think it is supposed to come out of nowhere because that's like that helps illustrate the point which is that having partial sight is worse than having no sight at all for in terms of like things like tricking you mm-hmm. and so i think that what happens to him is supposed to kind of come out of nowhere no yeah um. sure <laughs> <laughs> I, I i get what it's going for and i just don't think that means it's successful yeah and i do think there's the other element of like look at this weird lady and it's like she's i don't know she's just a lady <laughs> it's okay like yeah and i mean in a lot of ways like i you can say about don't look now is doing same but in some ways grosser things with this actress that Exorcist is doing with Linda Blair, you know, yeah. like instead of the young body, it's the like the othering of a different type of body. Yeah, but I guess I I guess I, for whatever reason I'm in the mood to forgive that, and I think it's because of everything else going on with Don't Look Now, which is like you could put on I think almost any scene in this movie and then be like, no, why is this happening? Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and then but but then as you reflect on it, like you get drawn closer to the movie and you like the movie more. Um, not like, why is this happening? And then when you think about it, you're like, yeah, this is a dumb movie. It's like you want to get closer. You want to figure out every part of it. I can settle it right now. Did in Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee have an accident? He's hanging by a rope, about to fall to his death, and one of the most Italian-looking guys I've ever seen scream out, Mamma Mia. No, <laughs> that did not. That only happened in one of these movies. That does sound like it makes more sense than Enter the Dragon. <laughs> is there any know. scene where Bruce Lee is like, I will now define the future, and then stands in the center of a room just rubbing his chest and moaning? <laughs> no. They cut no that. Scene like that. It's on the editing floor. So it's number four seed, Don't Look Now, Mike, versus number 13 seed, Enter the Dragon, Mike. Which one's going? There, there are so many criteria for the movies, and, and the one I'm choosing for this specific battle, but don't hold me to it, other battles will be different, is... I know for a fact that of these 16 movies, which one I will be watching in the future soon. As I Enter love the that criteria. It's Enter I the love Dragon. that criteria. And that is my vote. Yeah, because that speaks to a certain level of enthusiasm. I couldn't disagree more on the exact same point. Like, <laughs> given all of that, I would much rather, if you said right now we're going to fire up one of these movies, even though it's about really like tough stuff and it's like kind of a harder watch, I will always pick Don't Look Now over Enter the Dragon just on let's watch a movie right now. But I love it as a as a way of looking at it. Ryan, I think I know which way you're going to go, but the listeners don't follow along as closely as I do. So is it number four, Don't Look Now, or number 13, Enter the Dragon? And and I do want to be on the record that I hate that criteria. Just so yes. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. You, were, yeah you were on the record multiple times okay. as saying that. Um, that is criteria for music only of what you would <laughs> listen to now because that's a lesser art form. Um, which we all agree with music is a lesser art form than movies. I think we could all, uh, don't write in, uh, but yes, the answer is don't look now. And so then that means it's a tie. I have to do my least favorite thing, which is make reference to the fact that my least favorite thing (laughs) is making decisions. But for me, this is very easy. It's don't look now moving on. I think don't look now has 
what it takes to go all the way against Mike's wishes. <laughs> <laughs> because, Ryan, the two of us, we're a great duo. But let's get to the great on-screen duos of 1973, shall we, my segue friends? Yeah. I honestly don't know if he's talking to me and you, Mike, or his little imaginary Segway friends that are in his in the studio right now. The on-screen duos. I don't know what it is. I guess it's the dream of having a friend, but there's just something about <laughs> two actors on screen that it almost becomes a thing unto itself. And so we want to focus on those great on-screen duos and give them one award and then watch the coveting of that r- award slowly drive this duo apart until finally one kills the other we don't feel like our work is done we don't have two trophies that we can give them nope no ryan okay i don't i find it odd that we don't have best trio because of us and how much we love trios oh my gosh we love trios not work but movies do not like trios no yeah also we're 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 the threesome boys even (laughs) even the three musketeers adds in that full d'artagnan because they're like three doesn't work now there's four I I, yeah. I never understood that every time they would say the three musketeers, they would list four names. It's fucking <laughs> so dumb. What the fuck? Um, yeah, I think that there was a time where we would give out two Moody's, on-screen duo and best couple, but uh-huh. we have scratched that. So this might be romantic. This might be friends. And I like the way that I live my life is both. Who yeah, you're romantic with, why don't you be friends with them? If you're friends with them, why don't you be romantic with them? Right. That's why. why I, add smooch into the equation. Why don't the three of us give... Show? Do a little friendly kiss right now. <laughs> mm. oh, I love you guys. Should we do this now? Sure. You know what? Why not? Mike, let's start off with the ladies. It's Addie Loggins and Imogene, her new best friend from Paper Moon. These two little rascals. Stinkaroos, so, right? Little they stinkers? They are stinkaroos, yeah. and it's so fun. Like, what mischief will they get up to? How are they going to fuck over the adults in their lives? It is such... Uh, this is one of those things where it feels like most of the movie is their hijinks, and it's not. It's just like the middle part they get to hang out. And you are you feel because finally Addie has a friend her age. You feel because Imogene, somebody looks at her like she's a human. Uh, and it's it's so fun when they're together. They have great chemistry. It's yeah. always very funny. Uh, and yeah, the movie seems like it's at its best when it's about the two of them. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where if Paper Moon came out in 2023, there'd be a Disney Plus like Disney Junior show called Addie and Imogene. Yes. <laughs> With two like big headed little babies getting adventures. And you would have to skip past it to get to the next episode of Bluey. <laughs> Greg, I do not think this board could, award could go down in 1973 without Gondorf and Hooker from The Sting. From The Sting, of course. Like this, I feel like when we invented the award, it was for a duo like this. I think we've sometimes been a little bit cool, too cool for The Sting. But you can't deny these two guys together. They did it. They liked it so much that they just kept doing it. Just kept casting them together, and it's funny. There's a lot of handsome on the screen at the same time. Easy charm. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing wrong with that, Ryan. What is their dynamic? Like, I think that it's a lot. Cl- kind of older, older guy and like slightly younger guy, and it's clear in Butch and Sundance to me. I think it's a little, I don't know, uh, uh, vaguer in this, more vague in this movie. I think Paul Newman has, like, basically given up. Like, he used to love grifting, not just because it got him money and stuff, but because it let him, like, express himself. 
And then Redford is like reminding him of that and bringing him back. And so that's like, you know, like the, the old veteran and the, the young, not rookie, but kind of like that. Yeah. Speaking of grifting, can you guys reasonably assume that in the Sting episode, we talked about the comic book character Grifter oh, from yeah. Wildcats that just took everything that everyone loved about 90s comic book characters and poured it into one guy? Yeah. You could literally tell me that we talked about on any subject on any podcast, <laughs> and I would have to just agree with you because I don't have a memory of one second of recording any of this stuff. But especially if it's about the Wildcats. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely if it's the Wildcats. I'm going to forget that. Too sweet. Uh, Greg, John has won. Carol was nominated. I don't know if we have anything else to say. But John and Carol from American Graffiti, what do we have for best on-screen duo? Yeah, just pure entertainment and you know it's that synergy right it's like we we like both of them individually but together there is a life there that kind of almost puts the lie to the rest of the movie mm-hmm. um and i feel like durning and and salt have this in sisters where it's like you're so good that honestly it's kind of making the rest of the movie look a little bad <laughs> but there's such <laughs> calm down here. guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and it's just like you can tell that they are on as performers they're on the same wavelength and i bet it felt really good doing it you know um and there's like that scene where she wasn't supposed to get hit in the face with the water balloon yeah. and the fact that it plays off and becomes one of the best moments of the movie shows that there was a very thin line between like the reality of those two people together and the, and the characters they were playing george lucas like pitching me or let's more likely coppola um at the end of the movie they like each other not like like each other but like he thinks she's a kind of a cool younger girl yeah, yeah. i'd be like no do or like fine do it but it's gonna be hacky and lame the fact that that's pulled off yes yeah that's and like they get one fourth of the movie like they're only one of four storylines that's fucking nuts mike i'm glad you have this one because uh you did recently watch it now we're gonna do addy and her quote-unquote father from paper moon and this is those moments, ignore real life, but... <laughs> we're only going to talk about <laughs> why we're watching Moses <laughs> Prey. But Addie and... What is this fool's name? Moses Prey. Moses Prey. Addie and Moses, again, like... And this, in his head, he is Paul Newman, and she is Robert Redford, and he is teaching her things. The amount that she is schooling him on how to be a better grifter is what part of what makes this movie so compelling. And his constant, like... I don't want to learn from a child, but God damn it, is she making me better at my game? Uh, and then by the end, when he comes back for her, she's running and he's turning around like, it's so earned. Again, other movies can do this and it feels hacky. And they have their white fang moment like, get out of here, Harry and the Hendersons. I don't want you anymore. And by the time they hug, you're like, fuck, yes, this is what these two need to be on the road together forever because it's the only time they're actually happy in this world. I wish you could sit them, the real people down and be like, yeah. hey, watch this movie and see if you can glean any sort of message from the performances. <laughs> Hold on. Addie and Imogene, Gondorf and Hooker, John and Carol, Moses and Addie. They're these four veterans teaching yeah, dude. Yeah. newer kids, we have mostly thing. in cars, about and how to be a op- little better at the game. It's almost the opposite. It's almost the young people teaching the yeah. veterans how to like right. how to live again. the spirit of it again. <sighs> All right, Greg, we're going to let Mike just cook on this for a couple minutes. Mike, the final nominee is Prince John and Sir Hiss from Robin Hood. <laughs> okay. 
these two. I, I I remember that you guys loved this movie and I was a little down on it, but like, thank you for giving me. Uh, these two are why you watch this movie. Uh, people are like, it's because foxes are sexy. Fuck off. No, it's not. That's just a hacky thing. That's the new I like bacon. Uh, they are an Abbott and Costello level comedic duo of like the smarter one is in lesser power. The dumber one has more power. And then watching them bicker because they are just straight up an old gay married couple. It is delightful. What a shining light in this yeah, movie. Yeah, a, <laughs> a little bit of camp in the movie. Yeah. If there, I think the thing to be excited about Robin Hood is what a great business proposition it is because of how it utilized old assets to pull together <laughs> new. That's what you want to get excited about. If Toontown from Roger Rabbit had its own Hollywood squares, these two would each own one of the squares. <laughs> like they, these two would be ripping off jokes left and right. <laughs> All right, your nominees for best on-screen duo are Addie and Imogene from Paper Moon, Gondorf and Hooker from The Sting, John and Carol from American Graffiti, more George Lucas-directed actors, Moses Prey and Addie Loggins from Paper Moon, and Prince John and Sir Hiss from Robin Hood. And the moody goes to Moses Prey and Addie Loggins from Paper yeah, Moon, nice. father and daughter, alive daughter, dead father from Paper Moon. They got the same jawline. I have Lots to say, of people have the same jawline. <laughs> that you know, knowing the behind-the-scenes stuff, whatever it, that that is difficult to reconcile. It's one of Greg's aforementioned tragic stories. Yeah. But if judging just on the two of them together, like they, the it makes the movie. It's the backbone of they the entire crackle. movie. And again, I wish there was some way that like how well they work together in the movie could leach into the reality of the situation. <laughs> but I'm, unfortunately. The shitty treatment of her is probably what led to such great performances. <laughs> cool. That's Hollywood, everybody. When we come back, we have our last matchup for this show. Number five seed, and I have to say, kind of feeling like the reason for the season, the long goodbye, versus number 21 seed, star of the VHS covers, The Last Detail. I didn't know anything about the last detail before this season began. Mike, I don't know if you did either, but was this the movie that you felt like you learned the most about in the course of the season? Yeah, because it's the one I knew the least about. So therefore, yeah. I had it had a lot of I learned that Randy Quaid used to be able to act and like pretty good. Yeah. Right? He he stole the show uh that there are nuances to the Jack Nicholson persona. I'd say this mm -hmm. movie taught me that versus most of his other ones. Uh, yeah, I fucking loved The Last Detail, and it is this a is, shame more people don't know about it. This is another one of those movies that does a good job of, of looking at a premise and being like, no, this is inherently interesting, even if it doesn't sound like it at first blush. Two guys picking up a third to take him for his stint of punishment, all of them in the Navy. I could, somewhat, I could hear someone saying, well, that doesn't sound very exciting, mm -hmm. but on an interpersonal level... That is a huge drama, and the movie really like investigates. This is a weird situation. What would happen between these three guys? And it's so human that it it, it just it feels like holding up a magnifying lens to the actual human condition in a way that movies sometimes don't do because they're holding up a magnifying lens to just other movies. Right. As a child of the '90s, like I grew up like in the uh, as a I became like. Uh, became a movie watcher in the 90s and grew up on like Miramax, you know, studio Sundance movies of the 90s. Um, that's what, 
you know, we all lived and died for was like the thinnest of premises. Not that nothing happened, but the premise was so small that right. anything could happen. Right. Yeah. So like uh, my son just got out of jail. We have to drive across country and pick him up. That's it. That's all that Boom. you need. That's a movie. You, bitch. you have to put Steve Buscemi somewhere. But other a than jail that, and driving, anything can happen. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like that's the seventies are led directly to the nineties in that way. And yeah, the last detail is like, we have Jack Nicholson, we have an incredible screenwriter, and then we have Hal Ashby who just is fucking made for this shit. Mm -hmm. And then the long, the long goodbye, I feel like in a lot of ways is the opposite of that, right? Because this is not like the normal situation that people find themselves in. This is a movie ass movie, a story ass story, the long goodbye convoluted, twisty um and very sort of like i don't know is, is it too much trying to say that this movie is iconoclastic in the way that, that it handles marlowe and handles noir yeah i mean it's definitely like it's in love with noir but and in love with the 70s but also puts them up against each other in a way where like it wants to have them fight which is weird yeah, because the noir comes to the 70s to, to make a noir thriller and then take any of the taut tension out of it yeah, it, like <laughs> it makes it so sleepy, and that that makes it so interesting. And yeah, it's almost sort of like this is what you get now. Like this is what this is the noir that you deserve based on who you are now, you generation. And that's like it's sort of a precursor to the Brady Bunch movie. I'm sure we talked about this on the show, but like you know, um, the Brady Bunch woke up, you know, went to sleep at the end of their sitcom and woke up in 1995 when that movie mm -hmm. came out. And that's sort of what Marlowe does here goes to bed as Humphrey Bogart in the 40s and then wakes up as Elliot Gould in 1973 and then has to deal with how the world is now. None of that is me. clearly you know, spoken like that, but that's sort of what we have here. And then all of the Altman-isms that come with that. I, to be honest, like with the way that the stock has risen around this movie over the last 10, 15 years, I was kind of surprised to see it at, as a fifth seed on Letterboxd. I honestly yeah, it thought it would be like one or two. It certainly wasn't fifth seed around the pop filter studios. It felt like a much higher seed. And again, I think it was like kind of like one of the, the target movies. And I think ultimately that became a lot to bear. Mm. The fact that it was like one of the reasons why we did the season. And I'm not sure that it was always fair to the long goodbye because we enjoyed it. But it didn't it didn't to me feel like the kind of movie you build the season around yeah and, and i don't know that that's fair to any movie that, that, I, that it should be that i do think it too it's such a wavelength movie like it's so you have to have gone on its journey at its pace mm -hmm. to know where it puts you and then go on it again um yes. in order to enjoy all everything that it brings you um last detail is not like that like i do think that last detail despite the the cursing and the the talk of wieners and whatnot, it's not exactly The Princess Bride or The Sting, but really enjoyable for almost anybody who watches it. Yeah. Right? Um, the Long Goodbye is is going to take you to task as far as, like, what it's trying to accomplish and how it does it. That um, it, 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 it does really need you to, like, go a, once or twice on that ride. It's a bit of a mismatch in terms of the seeding. Long goodbye, fifth seed, and you said, Ryan, that you know you could almost conceive of it being a higher seed than that. Um, and then last detail down at twenty-one. That's a mismatch it... for me too. Like I thought that the last detail was a much more famous movie, and yeah, then yeah. you guys 
<laughs> sort of you came into the this season sort of only knowing its poster. I thought it was this huge thing, Jack Nicholson, Hal Ashby. I sort of fought for it to get up this high, and then and thank goodness that you did. It's not that big of a deal. Like it's just not that famous. It was nominated it's for cert- Oscars, but like certain movies just get memory hold, no yeah. matter how good they are, and. I think especially we talk about how like two actors who are similar, one will just go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market just says no thank market you. Market correction. Market correction. I think there's also a market correction in an actor's career where we talked about, mm-hmm. we all think this is a better version of the Nicholson than uh, what's Cuckoo? Beanie Magoo's name in One Flew? Randall McMurtry. Uh, but that society felt like, no, that's this version of Nicholson we want and we'll remember which right. is foolishness. This movie is so much better than that movie. Well, I think it is time for us to vote, gentlemen. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Number five, The Long Goodbye, which feels like a Mike movie, versus Thank number you. 21, See The Last Detail. Which feels like just part of Mike's life could be a movie. Uh, yes. I, these are two of my favorite movies of the whole season. This is the toughest matchup of, of this episode. Yes, but... The voting is not hard. Uh, it's the long goodbye. All right. Ryan, what do you say? Yeah. Um, I love the last detail, and I wish that we got more movies like it. Um, Greg, you and I have recently watched The Holdovers and just felt like, ah, oh, what a, like, a yeah. classic movie that we just used to get, like, 10 of every year, and the stakes aren't world-changing. You know, there's no Thanos, and there's no Holocaust, but, like, it feels, you know, it's just, like, great dialogue great characters and that's the last detail you know and like it feels old somehow the long goodbye is the film though it's like it that's the film yeah and again it's 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 probably why we're doing this season uh but the last detail yeah i did not have any feel for it at all and probably one of the movies that i felt like the stock rise the most because yeah it went from just a poster to an actual living (laughs) thing uh We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to say goodbye to you, but not forever, just for a short time. So our movies that are moving on are Exorcist, The Sting, Don't Look Now, and The Long Goodbye. Good movies, right, guys? Yeah, they're all right. (laughs) I mean, for any year to have those four, and apparently there's more movies to come, is what I've seen. There are more movies to come, Ryan. There are more awards to come. And frankly, I think there are a lot of twists and turns. Oh, shit. Like, you are my father and Mike is my daughter? Okay. Yep. Yeah, that would be... I Honestly, I That's, think for a podcast like ours, that would be a, a, a relatively big twist. It's a twist. I'm not saying it's the twist, but it's a twist. Um, but yeah, just to, those four movies make this a pretty great year, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty great year. And you know what? <laughs> we got more awards coming up. We got more fun times coming up. And pretty soon, we're going to be ready to announce next season. (gasps) That's going to be exciting. So stick around for that. We will be back to talk to you in one week. But until then, do me a favor, would you? Keep watching them movies.